Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. All right, listen, there's going to be a test on everything that you just heard, all right, at the end. So I hope you got it all, and it's not multiple choice, all right, so I hope you know. Just kidding. Good, good evening. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be here. Um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord to have time to, to get into his word together. Um, could you guys humor me for just one second? I was thinking about something today and I'm just curious. Could you raise your hand if you are between 35 and 45? All right. Okay. So I would say that's like maybe a 20%, right? Is that about fair? Because I always wonder why my pop culture jokes never land. And it's either because they're not funny or you don't know what I'm talking about, you know? And, and I started to think, like, I think that most of the people here either relate to the Waltons, which is before me, or Friends, which is after me, you know? And I'm kind of in that middle where nobody knows what I'm talking about, you know? But uh, thanks for that. appreciate it. Um, but we are tonight in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 15 as we uh, continue on. We're just going to finish the chapter tonight. I know it's just a few verses. I, I, I think... I think it's going to be a shorter message. I'm not promising you anything, but, um, but I just want to talk to you tonight about um, kind of the next phase of what Paul's about to, to get into in his journey. So um, if you would, Acts 15, if you need a Bible, I think the ushers are waiting for me to invite them to walk the aisles. So if you need a Bible and want to follow along with us, just get their attention as they uh, make their way. And let's just, um, I'm going to read, let me read um, Acts 14. I'm going to read just verses 27 and 28. Uh, Then I'm going to read the um, one verse in chapter 15, uh, verse 35 of chapter 15. And then, uh, yeah, and then I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. And I'll stop stuttering because we'll have prayed. So (laughs) uh, it says, and when they were come, it says that they gathered the church together and they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles and then uh, here's the verse I want you to think about. It says, and, and there they, and this they is um, Paul and Barnabas, who had just returned from their first missionary journey a couple years long. It says they, are, they abode for a long time with the disciples, or they continued there uh, for a long time with the disciples after a missionary journey. And then, um, then we had chapter 15, the first half, where there was kind of this miniature excursion to Jerusalem to settle some issues, um, and then they return. It's a short trip, and then Paul and, and Barnabas and some others return back, and then just verse 35 in chapter 15, it says this. It says that Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And so let's pray. Father, we um, just come to you tonight, Lord, as we look at uh, this text and the verses that follow and um, think about a, a concept that's so important to our lives and so critical uh, for our, our present and our future. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would come in among us, Lord, that you would turn our attention towards you fully and completely and that you would apply these things to us in, in a very personal and real uh, way, that you'd give us a clear vision and clear path for our lives and for our feet based on the things that, that you want to speak to us tonight. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus uh, began his earthly ministry, and, and really it goes way back before that because Jesus didn't begin his life when he began his ministry, um, it really begins at the beginning of humanity. 
But when Jesus was on the earth and, and we got to see it, we kind of got to see uh, faith kind of fleshed out. Um, and he looked at those first men and women that would be his disciples. He just said, follow me. You know, that was the first thing. They, John the Baptist pointed the way and he said that he's the Lamb of God that is going to take away the sin of the world. And John's disciples started to follow Jesus. And Jesus turned around and said, what do you want? And, uh, um, and, and they said, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And he just invited them to follow. And that so often was the invitation that Jesus gave to people when he encountered them as he just said, follow me. And uh, what they didn't realize maybe at the time that he said it, and, and really what we don't realize when we hear Jesus say, follow me, is that we're, we're really beginning a, a, a journey. You know, and I don't know if we like that word or not, or if, if that's the right word, but uh, we start walking with him, we start following him, and it really is a journey. And, and it's not lifelong, it's eternity long, because the following of Jesus is forever. I mean, he's so big that we'll, we'll spend eternity really learning of him and, and, and never even coming to, to understand the fullness of this God that we follow. Um, and, and it just amazes me to think about that, just the, uh, the size of what it means to just follow him and walk with him and this whole thing. And, and what amazes me about it even more than that is, is how many people he has the capacity to have a relationship with. You know, that he can have such a, a unique and individual and, um, and, and just uh, uncommon relationship with so many people. It's just, it's not a, a, like, a, like this universal thing where everybody just has the same exact thing. It's, it's, it's a relationship and he can have this deep personal relationship with so many people uh, that's so different. And yet at the same time that it's so unique, it all can have so much in common. Because, you know, you, you look at the people that follow him and you kind of look at the, um, the bird's eye view of the, of the walk and it's very similar. There's commonalities. And so it's very unique, but at the same time, it's very similar. And it's kind of like faces. You know, you, you know, a face is very common. I mean, it's two eyes, two ears, a nose, and a mouth. And you can recognize it. You say, that's a human face. And yet there's no two of them that are alike. And that's just the most amazing thing to even think about. You ever wonder, like, does God ever run out of faces? Like, how does he keep doing that? And like, sometimes I wonder if like every thousand years he has to start repeating faces because I mean, how many times can you make a face? And, and I even think like, sometimes I think that God waited until like the end of time for the camera to be invented because he'd get found out if he was repeating faces, you know, because people would see photos, you know. And I say that jokingly because he doesn't, he never runs out of faces. And yet you look at a face and it's just two eyes, a nose and a mouth. And there's things that you can recognize. And it's the same way in the relationship that God calls his people into, that he calls us into. It's so unique. It's so uh, personal. It, 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 the way he does things and the way he interacts with us and the way he knows us and the way he, he draws out of us and completes us and creates a color of life that comes out of us. It's so incredibly unique. And yet at the same time, there's these commonalities that don't vary at all. You know? and, and so as we study Paul... And that really is the, the, the mission of our, our, our journey through the book of Acts, is to look at the life of Paul because we want to see what, what it looks like. What are the phases? What are the things that every relationship with God has in common? And what is it that we can kind of expect, at least from a, a kind of a, a broad brush perspective of what God wants to do in our life? What also amazes me is that God never runs out of relational capacity. I mean, I have like... 
I think I have like three people, maybe I would even just say two and a half people that I, I really am close to, that I would say that really know me uh, on a deeper level than, than most others. And that's about what I can handle. I, I just don't have the relational capacity uh, to do much more than that. But yet God never runs out of relational capacity. He could have literally an infinite number of best friends. You ever have someone who has like, a, they say, oh, that's my best friend. Well, oh, that's my best friend. That's my best friend. And it kind of cheapens it because you're like, well, no one's really your best friend if everyone's your best friend. But yet Jesus can be best friends with everyone and it's actually authentic. It actually means something. And so his relational capacity is, is unbelievable in all of these things. Okay, now, Paul and his journey, really it has seven segments. There's seven phases of it as we've been looking at. And, and I've used this analogy throughout of the seven seas, you know, the journey through the seven seas of the devoted life. And they're all things that start with the letter C. And the idea is that we move from uh, one phase to the next as we grow closer to him and know him more and more. And just by way of review, because we're kind of going into another one of those phases uh, in this, this thing tonight, uh, the first C is the C of context. And that literally is just your uh, unfolding, the backdrop of you, your creation and inception, your personality unfolding, and everything that happens to you early in your life, where you're born, who your parents are, the, the multiplicity of ancestral things that you inherit that kind of make you who you are, coupled with the experiences that shape your early life. That's your context. And every one of us bring that into an encounter that hopefully one day we have with Jesus. He, he, he takes us where we're at in the middle of our context. And, and then th at the point where we meet him, there's a conversion. And, and I actually, as I was kind of prepping this one, I thought that's kind of really the wrong word. I don't actually like the word conversion uh, as it relates to our meeting Jesus for the first time. I understand what it means. We say that when someone you know, comes to Christ that they're converting, in a sense, to Christianity. But really, there, there's no conversion. It's really a connection. When Jesus encounters you, it, it's that beginning of relationship. It's when he says, follow me, and you begin to follow him. Or, or you just change your mind from being against God to saying, I'm open to God, and you allow Jesus into your life, and you just surrender to him. That's a connection that happens. But there's really absolutely no conversion at all that happens at that point. And, and by that, I just mean that the word conversion means change, to convert. And there's really no change. I, I know when I gave my life to Jesus, in that moment, he met me. There was a connection, but there was no change. I was the same exact person when I connected with Jesus as I was from one moment to the next, okay? But then there's another C. The next C is cultivation. And really, that's where the conversion begins. That's where the change happens. Because now, as I come into a personal relationship with the living God, there are certain things that change in my life just because of that relationship. For instance, when I experience the level of love that he has for me personally, and it isn't a concept, but it's actually something that gets inside my soul and affects me, then that love allows me to let go of a lot of other things that I was using to satisfy that place, and that's a change that happens in my life. So there's a change that happens because of his love. 
When you come to a place where you know in your heart that he's with you, that he's for you, that he has already gone ahead of you and has a plan. And as you come into a place where you become secure in that, then it allows you to let go of the illusion of control that you've had over your life all the time leading up to that. And and it changes you. There's an effect on the inside because you begin to trust him with the outcomes of your life and stop leaning so much upon yourself to direct the outcomes of your life. When you know him and you're possessed by the wisdom of his values, his ways become your ways. And you start to understand that what he says is reliable as a way to live my life. And the wisdom of his values gets into me, then the priorities that I had before change. My values change. The way I make decisions changes because I'm possessed by his wisdom. Okay, when I experience him as a promise-keeping God, that if he says he is something in my life, or if he says he's going to do something in my life, he always keeps those promises, and as I experience him as a promise-keeping God, then that frees me up to trust him, and by default, I become a less self-consumed, self-oriented person. Because I don't have to control those things and make them happen in my life. And it frees me up to care more about others than myself because I know that he cares enough about me for both of us. And so I am changed as I encounter him. Now, this takes time. That's why it's called cultivation. Because we don't change in an instant. It's not done right away. It happens as we grow in him, as we walk with him, there is a thing. And and, and thus... The change that happens when we know Jesus is not a behavioral change. It's not a result of me trying to conform to a picture of what I think I'm supposed to be. But rather, in the relationship, I'm changed by the effect that the relationship has on me, and it's something that happens a little bit slower, okay? Uh, It's internal. It's not just behavioral. I've talked over the years to several people that have gotten um, started in ministry maybe a little bit too soon. You know, they, they come to Jesus, they connect with him, they, they, the, the light of his word gets into them, they're truly saved fully. But they immediately get into a place of leadership or a place of ministry or a place of mentoring. And, and what happens inevitably is that the change on the inside hasn't fully taken place yet. But the responsibility of the position requires that you look a certain way. And so rather than waiting for the change to really happen and and the conversion to come, I have to fake the behavior in order to qualify for the position or give the appearance that I'm qualified for the position that I'm in in ministry. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about when he said to a young man later on to Timothy, who we're going to meet next week, He said to Timothy, he said, listen, don't put anyone in positions of spiritual leadership too soon because if you do, they're going to fall into the condemnation of the devil. And the condemnation of the devil is that he looked really beautiful. He outwardly seemed really wise, but inwardly he was very corrupt and he was far from what he appeared to be on the outside. And if you're not careful, you can begin to fake something that hasn't happened really inside of you yet, 
And you can come into a place where you get yourself into a jam because you're two different people. When you really know Jesus and you really connect with him and encounter him and relate to him, it changes you. But it takes time for that change to take place. There's a cultivation process in it. Paul went through that. He also then moved into the place of calling. That's the fourth C that he moved into. He was given a set of gifts. He was given a set of desires and opportunities to do good, to make a difference. For him, it was to plant churches, to herald the message of Jesus, to be an evangelist and a prophet and a pastor and a church founder and an author. I mean, he did a multiplicity of things. But it was something that God had placed in him and given him a calling, something that he could partner with Jesus in his mission to reach the world and change the world. And that's something that God does to everyone that follows him, is that he puts in us gifts, he puts desires, he gives us opportunities, he opens doors, and then he invites us to step through them with him so that our lives can make an impact and make a difference in the world. There's a calling, it's more than just a profession or a confession, there's a life that goes with it. And we've seen that in Paul. But then there's a fifth C, and it's kind of like the big one. You know, I remember growing up on Lake Ontario, and, you know, it was always the Great Lakes, the Great Lakes, and everybody gets their water from the Great Lakes. And there was, like, the little ones. There's, like, Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, but then there's, like, Lake Michigan. And it's, like, if you were going to try to, like, take a boat across Lake Michigan, it's like an ocean because it's so big. And that's kind of like this next one that Paul's about to go into, it's the sea of continuance, okay? He has been, cult, uh, he has a context. He's been converted, in a sense, or changed. He's been cultivated. He's been called. He's even gone on a missionary journey. But now, all the excitement things have kind of passed, and he's coming into this place now where it's just continuance. It's the journey part. It's what we would call the long middle. It's what we call the redundancy of life, everyday life. You know, the growing up part is done. The discovery part, the exciting discovery part of life is done. School is done. You know, the early, uh, the early experience and the excitement of even being in his calling, that's done. And now it's just life, real life for a long time because you saw it, didn't you? I mean, he just came off a missionary journey. He just came off these exciting things. And now it says that he continued for a long time in Antioch. He stayed with, again, it says in in Acts 15 with Barnabas, for a long season in Antioch. There's no mission. There's no miracles. There's no fireworks. There's no healings that we read of. It's just life. And that is a part of our walk with Jesus is that there is real life. I, uh, I, I rec- I'm not a big journaler, but I started, I t- started taking this class and I have a journal um, for it. And um, I got it from Georgia and she had bought like a five pack. And so all the journals in the house look exactly the same and I couldn't find my journal. So I, I, I don't, I'm not a, a, an eavesdropper. I don't get in between her and her relationship with Jesus, even though sometimes I don't like the things that she asks him. <laughs> but I, I stay out of that, so I don't, I'm not like the guy who reads journals and stuff like that, but I was looking for mine, and I grabbed one, and it was hers, and I opened it to see if it was mine, and it opened to the last page that she had been writing on, 
And, and it was just like one little sentence at the top of the page, and I read it, confession, you know. And it, and it just said this. It said, life is good. And then she wrote, dash, I've always hated that phrase. Life is hard. God is good. And that was it. And I just went, and I just, you know, then moved on because I wanted my journal. I didn't care what hers said, you know. But, but I actually asked her, I told her that, and I asked her if I could share that. I said, because that, that's what this is talking about, okay? That, this is continuance. This is the part where you realize, like, oh, my goodness, this is the long haul, <laughs> all right? Um, <laughs> I remember I was married at 21, that, which is kind of early. You know, most people get, get married a little bit later than that. But if you think about kind of the succession of events that happen in life, you know, you finish high school, maybe you uh, do a little college. If you do the math, you'll realize quickly I did not finish college before I got married and didn't finish college, you know. But, but, but here's what happened, what struck me after we got married. Because all of a sudden, I mean, it's so exciting. You know, you go through all this stuff, you're saved, and life is just flying at you. It's awesome. And then I got married. It's awesome. You know, this whole thing. And then I remember, like very shortly thereafter, it was like, get a job. And then I remember waking up, and I remember driving to work going like, oh, no. <laughs> like, th- there's, no, there's no end right now. Like, every year of my life, there was like 10 months of school, then an end, and then like a break, two months of summer. You know, and, it's been, and my whole life has been like that. And I just remember being gripped by the realization that this is forever now. Like, all the excitement part is gone, and this is life. And it was like, oh, my. Like, I don't know if I'm quite ready for this. I entered into the sea of continuance, okay? Now, continuance, which is something that every one of us and every Christian, you will enter into that sea. Continuance is the part where some people give up. Continuance is the part where some marriages cool off. And sometimes they even fail because the status quo can quickly become the, I'll call it the stale us quo, where things just kind of go sour. Continuance is the place where an average skill or career or ability can get stuck and just kind of fade out and become less and ultimately nothing. Continuance is the place where a Heisman Trophy winner or someone who's at the top of their game can be found to just be either somewhere in the middle or maybe even nothing at all, because it's easy to begin, but continuance is the proving ground. However, continuance can also be the place where some people grow, and where we're supposed to grow up. In continuance, some marriages grow roots, and they grow deep, and they get better. Some people in continuance that are average, in continuance, they become great, or maybe even elite, or maybe even legendary. But continuance is the place where the excitement is gone, and the fast new things are gone, and the value I place on what I have is tested by what I do to use, develop, protect, and grow what I have. I want to say that again. Continuance is the place where the value I place on what I have is tested by what I do to use, develop, grow, and protect what I have. Jesus would use a parable, and he would say that when he left, he delivered unto his servants talents, gifts, opportunities, things. 
life. And he gave one command. He said, go and use it, grow it, do something with it. And then we'll settle accounts. Let's see what you did with what I gave you when I returned. Then it says that he went on a long journey and he was gone for a long time. He's talking about continuance. Okay. How much do you value your life? Not your existence. I'm not talking about just your heartbeat or the fact that you're privileged enough to breathe air and take up space, but rather how much do you value what God has put in your life? How much do you value your marriage? The privilege that you have to have an intimate relationship with another human being. How much do you value your family? your kids, your offspring, your extended family, your parents, your aunts and uncles, the people that are around you? How much do you value your abilities and your talents and your gifts and your desires? How much do you value the opportunity you have to make your life count and to do good? Well, how much value you place on those things will be revealed in the sea of continuance. Because what you do with them in the everyday continuance of your life will reveal how much value they have to you. If they are valuable to you, you'll do something with them, grow them, and make them better. And if they're not, then they will fade away, diminish, and simply exist or cease to exist. Legacy is either forged or faded in the sea of continuance. Now, why do I say all of this at the beginning of this Bible study? Because for Paul, this is the part of his life that he's entering into now. He's in that place. He's been saved, changed, gifted, and used. He already went on a mission. It was awesome. It was dynamic. It was impactful. And then it ended. And now he's in a place where he is called upon to just live. Just take the place of a servant and don't play the victim for what you've been through that hurt. And don't play the martyr that you're the only one that's doing so much. And don't be the hero that everyone should bow down to because you actually did something once. But rather now, it's just to be faithful and to continue in the place that he is to be a servant and a student. Now listen to me. We all go through different seasons. And the seasons that we go through that are more of a continuance season, where there isn't like that much excitement, those are opportunities given to us by God to process what we've been through thus far or before it, and then also to engage what we learned in the seasons and then take time to reinvest in our character and build what we have to build with. And I want you to understand that no matter where you are right now in this moment, it is not your destination. Do you understand that? You are not at your final place, all right? You are right now in a moment where you are experiencing both last season's harvest and next season's seed. Do you get that? You're experiencing the benefits of where you've been and you have the opportunity to prepare for where you're going next, but you will keep going. And what we learn of Paul, based on what happens in his life from this point, is that he did not waste continuance. He did not waste the quiet moments in the quiet times. He continued to be a student. He continued to be learning and growing and developing. He continued to be a student of life. He continued to be an observer of personalities and people. 
He took the, the, the moment and the time of clarity to see that there were Jewish believers that were stuck in their traditions. And then he internalized their experience and said, I never want to be in that place myself. God, lead me into a freedom and a way wherein I don't get stuck. He saw other people that were fruitful, that were living to their fullest. And he was able to internalize what he observed in their life. And he was able to say, that's the way I want to go. That's the direction. That's what I want to look up to. He was able to take the scriptures and look at life through the lens of them and, and form a body or a network of truth, a framework through which he saw the world. And then he was able to walk within that in such a way that he would take the time that wasn't maybe the most exciting time or wasn't where he was going next, but make the most of it when he would get there. He watched spiritual currents and he saw how God worked in real life and then he made it a part of who he was. He assimilated everything at his disposal to make him a better man. He took responsibility for his own life. He learned to maintain and keep a trade so that he would be able to provide for himself and take care of himself. He learned that God was with him and God was his help, but that his future was no one else's responsibility. He did all of these things. He also learned that life wasn't about himself, that Jesus came to lay down his life to propel others and that his purpose would be the same. And he continually kept these things in the framework of his vision and he moved continually at them and never let him go to sleep. He was always living, engaging, and growing. And this was the strong current in the seasons of continuance in his life. He was not stagnant but there was a deep current that moved him forward even in the times of just simple continuance of being faithful with what was in front of him in that moment. It's so often that it happens in the Bible and it also happens in real life that people arrive really well, but they don't know how to continue really well. You think about the, the children of Israel when they came into the promised land. They'd been wandering for all of those years and, and, and just tired, tired of it, ready to move forward. And then Joshua takes them into the promised land and, and, and God clears the way for them. And he gives them this amazing gift. He gives them this land and this nation, this identity and these borders and these, this wealth and these riches. And they, they, they were just like the whole world looked and said, goodness, look what God did for these people. But then they didn't know how to continue in it. And they fell apart. It was constant civil war and infighting and carnality and abuse, and, and they just diminished because they could arrive, but they couldn't continue. We saw in the life of David, you look at the life of David, and he was so good at climbing. He, he overcame the adversity, and he got through his youth, and he grew, and, and, he, and he prospered and thrived, and he became the king. But then once he got to that place, he kind of fell apart. <laughs> you know the story. You know, he just began to live for himself and multiply wives, and, and he still kept a relationship with God, but he, he just didn't continue well. He kind of floundered in that place. And, and you see that in the scriptures. You see it in life. You see it even in the modern day. I mean, we just this week witnessed a man who was moments away from being King Richard, and he revealed himself to still just be a fresh prince, <laughs> and you realize, like, some people, they, see, that, that's the pop culture joke, like, 20% of you, 20% of you got that, you know, <laughs> but, but people just don't know how to continue well, but here's the truth, 
is that outcomes are not the products of our achievements, but rather of our continuance. And Paul is an amazing example of someone who could not only achieve, but he knew how to continue. And if you can continue in the season that you're in and continue to grow and continue to follow and to continue to pursue, then the next season will come as it does for the Apostle Paul. He continues well and the next season comes. Now, we come to verse 36. I know that was a very long intro to get into uh, the furthering part of the text. But as we get into 36, we see that next season come for Paul. Notice what it says. It says that after some days, and there was some days, it says that Paul said unto Barnabas, his partner on the previous missionary journey, he said, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He has an idea and a desire and he brings it to Barnabas, who had been his partner and his mentor. And he said, hey, what we did before, let's do it again and let's see what the Lord might do. Now, I find it interesting to look at how Paul has matured as a man and as a man of God, even up to this point. Because if you remember the last time when Paul was called by God, remember how sensational it was? It was back in chapter 13, and there was this, you know, church-wide prayer meeting, and everyone was seeking God with fasting, and there was like this intense, like this intense upward collective look of the church, and, and the Holy Spirit entered the room, and, and his voice was heard, and he said, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them unto, and, and it was like this amazing thing, like, whoa, God just showed up, and everybody had goosebumps, and, and it was like the, the witness was borne out, and, and what was taking place in the room, and, and this amazing thing happened, and it was the sensational moment, but this time, he's called, and he's called, but there's no sensation, there's no voice, there's no prayer meeting. There's no word of prophecy. There, there's no fortune cookie. There's nothing. There's just simply a desire and an idea and a flippant sentence. Like, hey, what do you think about maybe doing, doing it again? What do you think about going out on the trip like we did last time? And Barnabas is like, yeah, all right, <laughs> Let, that, that's good. Listen, I want you to understand something, is that the closer you get to God and the more intimate you become with him, the less you need sensational things to discern and follow his will. And in fact, the less you need it, the more you'll recognize how intimately involved he is already in the daily part of your life. Because he's not the God who is so absent that he feels like once a year at Christmas time, he has to show up and do something sensational just to let you know that he's still with you. By the way, dads, and I, I'm saying this because I've been in that place, is that if you get that feeling like every Christmas or whenever that you have to like spend thousands of dollars on your kids because you hopefully can make up for where you weren't there all year, that's probably not good, <laughs> right? Because that's not the way God is. God's not like, I'm absent, I'm absent, I'm absent, but now you need me. Okay, here I am. Let me show you how much I love you. No, no, no. He is with you constantly. And it's when you're no longer needing the sensational things of a sign or a wonder or a word or a goosebump 
that then you begin to recognize as you look over the pattern of God's walk with you over time that he has been with you in the simplest and, and intimate and complete ways where you never would have known, except you look for it. But when you're looking constantly for the sign, then you miss out on his simplicity. And God is a God of extreme power, but amazing simplicity and humility. He is not a show-off. And so he walks with us in the intimate things of our life. And here, it's just a simple idea. Paul says, hey, what do you think about this? And it turns out to be the very will of God, the call of God. Now, there are three people involved in this uh, plan. There is Paul, there is Barnabas, and there is God. And all three of those people have a different vision or script in their mind of what this is actually going to look like. Let's start with Paul. Paul, his desire is to move forward in his calling and to move forward in the things of God and to advance the kingdom of God. That's ultimately his vision. We know that because of what he does. He said, let's go visit the churches that we went to. He visits two makes a quick trip around the region, and then he's on to new things. He's like, no, this message has to go. We can't just keep this here. We got to get it out. And that's his vision. That's where he wants to go. Barnabas has a totally different vision. Barnabas is a little bit older, and he's kind of in that stage of life where he's kind of like a little bit like, yeah, let's relive the glory days. Let's go back and do it again. Man, that was a great trip. Let's repeat it. I'll draw up the itinerary. We'll, we'll follow the same track that we went before. We'll visit the same churches. In fact, Barnabas says, I'll even go get Mark. Remember Mark? Mark was the one who went with them the first time and then deserted them because it was too hard. And, and Barnabas says, yeah, no, we're going to do this again. And this time it's going to be even better. That was his script. That's what we, we know that because that's what Barnabas ultimately ends up doing. He, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. There's a third person in this equation, and that's God. Because God's the one who's orchestrating all of this. It's his call. It's his plan. It's his design. And God has a different idea than both of them, okay? God's design is not that one mission team is going to go out, but that two mission teams are going to go out, and that Paul and Barnabas aren't going to be partners in the ministry anymore uh, from this point any longer, that this is going to be a little bit different than what either one of them thinks. And, and he's thinking that one is going to strengthen churches and the other one is going to expand the kingdom and the church. And so watch how this unfolds because an argument is about to break out, another conflict. It says in verse 37 that Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And so Barnabas says, hey, let's go get Mark. He's older now. He's ready now. And Paul says, nope, Mark ain't coming. He deserted us. I don't care how long it's been. I don't know. No, Paul, no. And verse 39, it says, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas, and he departed, being recommended or ordained by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, 
confirming the churches. Uh, we're not going to go any further in the text, uh, but in chapter 16, it, it begins to unfold uh, what, what Paul and Barnabas did. But here you have this amazing argument, this contention, this division, this conflict that took place between these brothers that had been so uh, unified and what they had uh, previously done before. And I can, I can hear the argument in my mind. I can almost see it. And maybe you can too. Is that Barnabas just says, I'm going to go get Mark. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. No, we're not doing the Mark thing. We did that before. That didn't work out. And, I can, and Barnabas, he was an encourager. So Barnabas says, no, no, Paul, we've got to take Mark. It's important for him. He's, he's ready now. Like he, he was a young man then. It was a little too heavy for him, I understand. But he, he has a desire for missions. He wants to go. We, we have to give Mark another chance. Paul just said, no, he's not coming with us. And then, and then Barnabas said, listen, listen, no, no, no. It's not for us. It's not about us. We have to nurture. We have to hand the baton. We have to bring up the next generation. We, we have to travel at the pace of the slowest ship. Like, this is what we do. We're Christians. You know, we forgive. We forget. God is the God of second chances. No. Paul, does Jesus stop using you every time you make a mistake or get tired or don't finish something that you started. What would Jesus do, Paul? Jesus would take Mark. No. And the contention grew so sharp, and they both dug their heels in so deep that one of the greatest missionary teams that ever was, well, it was probably the only missionary team up to this point, is now divided, and they can't even move forward in the thing that they were called to. Now, this is so interesting to me, okay, because if you take this argument from a purely biblical viewpoint, and you have to judge who's right, who's right. Now, don't tell me what chapter 16 would reveal. You tell me, what would you, well, who's right? Barnabas sounds more right, doesn't he? I mean, he's mercy, he's second chances, he's redemption, he's, he's like the champion of the underdog. Like, it's everything that the Bible even stands for. He is biblically more right. And yet, Paul is so adamant that this is not the will of God, and yet God affirms and follows Paul. He, he says, I know that this doesn't make sense to you, I know that this is, is counterintuitive, all right, but I'm going to follow Paul. Paul is actually right on this. And Paul is looking through the lens of everything that he had gone through, everything that he had seen, and he was certain and sure that this wasn't the right move. Now you say, was Barnabas wrong? No. Barnabas was also right. They were a legendary mission team once, but now they're going to be two missionary teams, and it's going to be different. And here's why I think God orchestrated things this way. Because Barnabas was a little bit older, he was a little bit slower, and he had a little bit of, of what we could call Uncle Rico syndrome, li reliving the glory days. He goes to Cyprus. Cyprus is that little island in the middle of the Mediterranean that, that they had moved through on their first missionary journey. He, he wanted to redo it the same way they did it before. He was looking to the past to inform the future. And Paul would say, no, 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 we did that. Like, we went to Cyprus. The churches are established there. I'm not going to go there again. Like, the fire's burning in Cyprus. Let's go to Asia. Let's move onward. Let's go forward. Let's see where the church wants to go. 
But that's not where Barnabas is. He's in a different stage. He's in a different framework. Paul is younger. He's fresher. He's forward thinking. He's looking ahead. And he wants to see how the Holy Spirit is going to carry the church into the future, not relive the past. And that is always a difficult thing because God is not so much a God of the past as he is the God of the present and of the future. He identifies himself as the I am, and he does things in such mysteriously varying ways, he rarely repeats what he did before. And he's going to follow Paul because Paul sees what's coming. Barnabas isn't quite there at this time. Now, why do I say that? It's because if you want to be a part of what God is doing in the continually, okay, then you and I, we must learn to be led of the Holy Spirit in real time and in the unpredictable ways of walking by faith. Because the, the past, hindsight, is what? 2020, right? You can see clearly. The future is fuzzy and uncertain, but God is moving forward. And if you want to be used then you've got to have your eyes looking ahead and not behind. That's going to become abundantly clear as we get into chapter uh, 16. You know what's also interesting to me is that Barnabas is never heard from again. We don't see him ever mentioned, which is just puzzling and strange. I know he didn't lose his salvation. We're going to see him in heaven. Um, but, but God was all in with Paul on, on the direction that he was going. Now I'm going to wrap this up and we're going to get into chapter 16 next week. Worship team, don't come yet. But here's... Here's what, I want, here's what I want you to take away from tonight and this whole idea of, of being in the place of continuance is that continuance or continuing is most of life. Most of the time that we're going to spend on earth is going to be in the sea of continuance. But if you coast or go to sleep or become too comfortable or relax too long in the sea of continuance, in the middle part of life, then your vision of the future will begin to cloud over. You'll begin to get stuck right where you are. Your sensitivity to hearing his voice, discerning his will, and walking in his plan is going to fade and not increase. And your drive to make your life, your opportunity, the things that God has given you, your opportunity to make those things count will die. We human beings are different from animals. Do you know that? We have the unique ability, humans have the unique ability to change the world. Animals do not. Deer have been doing what deer do since deer were made. And they've never changed the world, except they've made food better a little bit, you know, sometimes. But, but they don't change, they, they just do what they do. But you and I, human beings, we have been given a privilege to make changes in the world based upon what we do with our life. And you just think about it for a minute, okay? For good or for bad, the world is a different place today than it was 50 years ago, is it not? Why? Because human beings have done things. We are more technologically advanced as a society today because human beings ran with ideas and inventions and did something with the opportunities that were before them. We are a more civilized world today, at least in some ways, than we were in times past because human beings made in the image of God refused to accept the status quo of what was and fought for something that's better. 
The world is filled with more Bible and more strong churches today because women and men responded to what Jesus was calling them to do and they did something with it and you and I are the beneficiaries of all of that today. And continuance is where those things are cultivated and ultimately created. It doesn't happen when we go to sleep. It happens when we press forward, okay? Continuance is where talented people become obsolete because they think their talent is enough, but it's also where devoted people become great. Continuance is where Tim Tebow fades into the background and Tom Brady becomes an immortal legend. It happens in the continuance. Continuance is the place where you can either play into only your strengths and pretend that your weaknesses don't matter and ultimately be taken out by them, or you can harness your strength and face your weaknesses and turn them around to become strengths. Continuance is the place where you either blame your past for the setbacks of the present, or it's the place where you determine that nothing is too broken, too lacking, or too wounded for God to help you do more with your life than you ever thought was possible. I think of the man Caleb in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua. And Caleb was 80 years old. And Caleb was decorated. Caleb was respected. Caleb had wealth because of the family that he was a part of and because of what he had already accomplished. And he was now 80 years old. And he had every right to just sit back and relax, to coast in the continuance of his golden years or of his later years. He had also suffered because of the decisions that had been made by other people. And, and it would stand to reason for him to just say, I've done enough, I've believed enough, I've led enough, I've influenced enough at 80 years old, but he didn't do it. He went to Joshua when he was 80. Joshua, by the way, is the same name as Jesus. Caleb went to Jesus and he said, hey, 40 years ago, I was given a promise. I was 40 years old when it was promised to me that I would obtain and inherit the city of Hebron. And I have yet to obtain that promise. And he says, I'm not here right now because I'm going to ask you to do it for me. I'm here right now to just get your permission for me to go and take what was promised to me before. And Joshua said, it is a promise. A promise is a promise. Go. And at 80 years old, Caleb said, my vision is not dim. My strength is not diminished. And he took the resources that he had already at his disposal and he drove out three giants and a whole community of people that didn't belong on land that belonged to him for no other reason that God had promised that he was going to give him that land. And he said, I am not going to die having not done something that God said is mine to do. And that is what it means to continue well. To say, if God has something for me, then I'm going to go and get it, or I'm going to prepare myself for it, or I'm going to poise myself to be in that direction so that when the moment comes, I'm not sleeping, but I can move forward in it. And at that point, he went from legendary to immortal, and it happened at 80 years old. Listen, church. Listen, Christian. Listen, human. We get one go-around. We get one go-around in this world. One chance. 
Eternity is coming, and it will come, but right now, God is calling us to himself, and he invites us to join him to reach humanity, to make a difference in our world, and there is a lot of work to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? There are some that are here in this room right now that have fallen asleep and and have become apathetic because you've blurred the lines between surrender and ownership. Okay, surrender is the part where you say, Jesus, I give you my life, and I give you my talents, and I give you everything I am. I give you my past, present, and future, and, and everything I have, I want it to be yours. That's surrender, and that's good. That's what we're called to do. But you've surrendered your life, but you've never taken ownership of what he gave you back. See, when God called Moses and said, Moses, I've got something for you to do. He said to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses said, I've got a staff. It represented everything that he could do, every gift that he had. And God said, surrender it, throw it down. And Moses threw the staff on the ground and he saw it become a serpent in front of him because anything that we hold in our hand apart from God's control and leading is nothing but a serpent waiting to bite. So he surrendered it and then God said, now pick it up by the tail. He didn't say become apathetic. He didn't say just let be and let go and I'm just going to do everything you just watch and see and just sit down and enjoy your life. No, he said pick it up by the tail and he picked it up and became a staff in his hand again. And from that time, what had been surrendered to God was given back to Moses with a commission. I'm calling you. I've gifted you. I've placed things inside of you. Your life is to be legendary. You're not to be like everyone else. You're not to rest and settle on what what is average or good enough or what you can best surmise for your life. But what I'm calling you to is bigger than you. It's grander than you. It's too hard for you. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. Because a calling sized right for you is a a calling that's sized too small for God. And if you're going to follow the God of the universe, then he's going to give you something to do that's harder and bigger than you are. But he calls you and I to take ownership of what we've been given and not to waste the opportunity that we have. Life, power, vision, opportunity, wisdom begin when we surrender to Jesus. But they never unfold and develop or grow until we engage and take ownership in what he's given us back. When Jacob was dying, he prophesied over his sons. And to his son Benjamin, he said one sentence. He said, Benjamin is a ravening wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. And in the evening, he will divide the spoil. That is what Jesus speaks over us. He says, listen, in the a.m., in the morning of your life, go after it. In the continuance, in the time that you have, in every day, in every opportunity, in every relationship, in every job, every duty, every moment, you devour the prey, you look to the future, make the most of it, so that later on in the evening, You can divide the spoil and say, look what God did. Don't waste it. Don't waste it from where you are right now. 
And no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, whether you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus at all, or maybe you're here and you've fallen into apathy or fallen into sleep, it begins in the same place. It begins for you to say, Jesus, I give you my life and I receive what you give me back and I want to make the most of it. I don't want to waste the opportunity that I have. And if you're here in this room right now and you know that there's more, there's a Hebron, there's a promise, there's spoils yet to be divided. Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender everything I am to you and teach me to take up by the tail what's been given. And in this moment, even if it's just a moment of mere continuance, so common, I'm going to grow as a human being. I'm going to develop my marriage. I'm going to develop my relationship with my kids. I'm going to develop the things that you've put inside of me. I'm going to be ready and poised to go. I'm going to follow your leading. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here. I thank you so much, Lord, that this is the God that you are, that this is your intent for the sons of men, that you would put something in us that's so much bigger than we are and call us to something so much greater than we could ever imagine. And I pray right now, Jesus, I pray that you would give us fresh vision, fresh insight, fresh understanding. God, that you would help us to see our lives, our families, our world, our society, what you're doing, where you're going. Not in the past, but right now and in the future to come. That you would give us eyes of faith. That you'd give us hearts full of love. That you'd give us power, not for the sake of power, but for the sake of serving. So help us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. And walk with us, Lord. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.